When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wessner Flynn. And Dimity, can you believe it's already December? No, I can't. I can't. I, I'm already like, oh, don't even get me started on shopping. I always think it's going to take less time than it actually does, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, because I can just order it all and then, you know, not leave my desk. But you still have to go through everything and like make a list and check it twice. And right. I mean, and I don't have four kids. <laughs> I actually just have a family of four and we draw each other's names now. That's what we decided uh, to do as adults. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say, just saying to my husband a couple of hours ago, this is like my always, I go into this Grinch mode, like after Thanksgiving, before I, I eventually like get into the Christmas spirit 100%, but like, I always have a little bit of a Grinch mode where I'm like, why are people putting their Christmas trees up? Can't we just celebrate Thanksgiving? And then, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, but I don't have my Christmas tree up. So I'm behind on the times already. And I start like getting a little panicked. And then Mark was like, it's no, you know, right today actually is November 30th, not quite December yet as we're recording this. And he's like, it's not even December, chill out. And I was like, okay. But yeah, and also like, I've been doing a lot of purging at my house of stuff. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's going to get filled up again with more stuff because you know, with, with four kids, you do end up with accumulating a lot on Christmas, even if you don't really need it, they get it. So, yes, yes, you know, I hear you. I hear you. Next time we record, I'm sure I'll be all in my Christmas spirit. My holiday spirit will be there. <laughs> Not there yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, so how did that turkey track go off? Speaking of Thanksgiving. Yeah, speaking of holidays, that was amazing. It was so fun. Everybody was on board. Um, I ran out to the dollar store per Michelle. I actually, she said Party City, um, our guest from the last podcast, she was like, get the little turkey hats from Party City. And then as we were driving towards where we ended up staying, there wasn't any Party City. So I went to the dollar store and they had nothing. Of course, everything was Christmas there. (laughs) We didn't have like the fruit, the Jews. We didn't like juice it up. Uh But as far as spirit and like enthusiasm went, we were there. Everybody came out for it. So we had a big crowd and I had about maybe 10, 10 of us ran the full 5k and then everybody else walked, but they were cheering for us. And the course, I winged it and uh-huh. I just kind of looked at my watch and, and saw a mile and a half or whatever it was, 1.55. We turned around and then on Strava, I looked at it. It's the shape of like a beak. So I called it the Turkey Beak 5k. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah. I didn't realize we were running in kind of a triangular so I made a little reel and it got everybody on there. And now everybody's like, we have to do this from now on. So I think we did start a tradition. So I'm very happy about that. Oh, that's awesome. Good. Well, that's yeah. good. Well, you definitely celebrated Thanksgiving in style. So that's great. Yeah. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was lovely. We didn't do a family thing. We went back and forth about playing pickleball. It was pretty cold here that morning. It was actually quite cold. And then we talked about going for a hike and a walk. And we ended up going, um, we have this awesome dog park, Cherry Creek Dog Park, if anyone's local. I think it's the pinnacle of dog parks. It's about, I feel like it's 
five miles around or maybe a little bit more than that. Like Grant used to go there and and run laps there with Mm -hmm. the dogs. Wow. Um, Now we just walk, but we went with our kids. So that was very nice to have Amelia home, even though she's in Denver for college. It's just nice to have like everyone home sleeping in their own bed, you know, kind of, you know, it was, I I didn't realize how much, how fulfilling that would feel. Mm -hmm. I I know for you, you're probably like, it's just, you know, (laughs) Another no, day, but so um, nice. yeah, so nice. it is. It's definitely, it was, that was more gratifying than I expected it to be. But yeah, so we went to the dog park and I just, I mean, you can't be in a bad mood at the dog park because <laughs> so there's, um, you know, we bring our two dogs. Mason is almost 12 now. And so he is very old. Um, he's just getting really arthritic in his back legs. So it used to be, we went there and we could like throw the ball for him forever. You know, he would run, you know, seven miles while we walked our 1.5. And um, now he just finds a ball and we just, let him carry it into the mouth. Like he's not, you're not allowed to throw it for him because otherwise you just pay for it on the backside. And Banjo's just crazy, just runs around, but they have like a river you can be in. Um, there's nice. like horses there, not free. They're fenced up on one side, but, mm-hmm. and just the number of dogs, like Great Danes, Dachshunds. I mean, everybody's happy, especially on a holiday. <laughs> it was just, it was good. It was good. That's so such the, a great way to start the day. It was, it was very dogs. nice. All four of us were there. Plus the yeah. So that was good. So I'm excited about today. We're going to get back to running in a big way with a really fun book. It's hard to believe that the New York Times bestselling book, Born to Run, was released 13 years ago. As you may recall, this was a book by Chris McDougall, considered an ode to minimalist running that sold more than half a million copies worldwide and made a sweeping impact on the running world. It's said to be one of the primary catalysts for the minimalist running shoe revolution that helped spur brands to develop lighter, lower to the ground shoes using less material. So if you're wearing and loving your minimalist shoes right now, you've got Born to Run and Chris McDougall to thank. Now, Chris is back with a follow-up book, Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide, set to release the day this episode drops on December 6th. And this time he's got a partner, longtime and renowned coach Eric Orton. We're thrilled to have Eric as today's guest on AMR Trains to chat about Born to Run 2 and his background. And as a quick programming note, Chris McDougall will be on Friday's episode with Sarah Bowen Shea and her co-host Molly. So make sure to tune in for that as well. Welcome, Eric. Well, thank you. I'm excited for this. Chris and I have been doing so many podcasts lately together. So I'm actually pretty excited to be solo today. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk trash about him, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I go first. He's second, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I have listened to some of those podcasts. And like you said, it's great just to have you solo and then have to have Chris solo on Friday, because I think we'll get a really good insight into the book and to both of your backgrounds, because you're not quite the same. You have such a storied past when it comes to running. Can you take us back to your earliest days as a runner and how it evolved from there? Yeah, so my my whole life has been shaped by running. My earliest recollections of running was you know, way back in elementary school, the field days that you had, you know, out in the backyard of the the school where you're doing kind of the Olympic elementary school, Olympic style, running, Mm -hmm. jumping, you know, standing broad jump, all those things that just, I, that's kind of my first real true recollection of running. And I've always been a runner, whether it's track and field in high school, uh, I played football, I played all the kind of the the normal, so to speak, sports. I I played football in college. And so running was always a vehicle in a lot of different ways that has, again, shaped me where I am today. But it wasn't really until after graduating from college that I moved to Denver 
where the whole endurance bug caught me and kind of set me on this whole course that allows me to sit in here today. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did you start coaching, Eric, and what drew you to coaching in the first place? Great question. I was in Denver and I was competing in triathlon, bike racing, and mountain running at the time. And it was just kind of right before online coaching started to become a thing. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I started to help other athletes, you know, for running and triathlon. And I could see this as being a, a way to make a living. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was the second coaching certification class at the Olympic Center for Triathlon. And so that kind of really was that making that step of, okay, this is this is what I want to do. And then I was a handful of people that really pioneered then the online coaching platform that today is, is kind of, you know, we don't even think of it as, you know, a thing, but back Mm -hmm. then it was a a big step where age groupers now could have a vehicle and a a really efficient way of having a coach. That's kind of what started me on this trajectory. And when I moved to Jackson hole, that's when I chose to go full-time with my coaching. And I've been coaching full-time for what 24 years now. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So I have to ask, what position did you play in college football? (laughs) All right. So I'm 145 pounds right now. I played running back at 190 pounds. Okay. Wow. So yeah, that took a a few years of whittling away (laughs) that that fast twitch muscle fiber into kind of what I consider now my, my true passion of mountain running. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And do you do, yeah. do you still do triathlons or coach triathletes? I, I do coach triathlon. Um, I have not competed in triathlon for, you know, ever since I moved to Jackson, it's all been for me about ultra running and mountain running. And, you know, we have amazing world-class trails right out the door. So that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of been my focus. However, um, McDougal has me thinking about doing some swim run and he, he he's in Hawaii now, so I'm thinking about maybe getting back into the pool and creating an adventure with him. Yeah, be because fun. those are yeah. super rugged. Are you talking about like the Otillo and things like that that are more rugged? If if I'm going to Hawaii to meet Chris, it would be kind of creating our own adventure where we're swimming to islands Ooh. and running the islands and swimming back. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So it'd be more kind of a self-induced adventure. <laughs> well, you gotta love that. So you and Chris have partnered for many years now. You were prominently featured in Born to Run and you're credited with creating training plans that cured Chris McDougall's chronic injuries, which allowed him to chase the epic adventures that he chronicled in his book, in the original book. So how did your life and career change with the original book's explosive popularity? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it, it it changed all our lives significantly. Um, it was originally we went down with the idea of doing a magazine article for this, and when we got down to the Copper Canyon, Chris and I kind of our eyes met, <laughs> and we kind of laughed at each other. And he goes, "I think I have enough for a book here." Mm-hmm. Um, so that was not our intention going down. It was just something very benign and just going down for an adventure, but. Three years later after that, you know, when the book came out and it started to hit, you know, my, my coaching platform went to from domestic to worldwide. And that's, 
you know, allowed me to write my own book, The Cool Impossible, and mm-hmm. to have people come visit me here in Jackson from all over the world. And I get to visit people all over the world and, and really kind of live my passion of helping people learn to run better. That's cool. cool. That's cool. Well, as Sarah mentioned earlier, it has been 13 years since the release of Born to Run. Was there a reason for such a big gap between the books other than the two of you, you know, doing your own thing and running with donkeys and coaching a bunch of people and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, I think you hit it. You know, there's obviously those three years after Born to Run came out were pretty massive as far as just craziness. Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of scrambling in a lot of ways, hearing thousands and thousands of runners of people that, hey, I'm just like Chris, you know, how can you help? And so we had a lot of stuff going on. And I think also in once we started this project um, for Born to Run 2, it kind of resonated with me as to why this timeline needed to take place for Chris is that I think Chris needed this time to really see two things, how profoundly he inspired other people that gave them hope that they could run also and run healthily and to, and to be able to run without injury. And then secondly, I think he needed the validation that he achieved his goal. And his goal, short-term goal, was to go down to the Copper Canyon and finish a 50-mile race that he never thought he could do. But the bigger goal that we had was for him to be able to run out his door any day, any time, for as long as he wanted. And he really achieved that. And I think for him, mentally, it needed that time frame for him to really see that he achieved that. And therefore answering your question of why 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I love that. That was this big, the long-term goal. You know, it wasn't a race. It wasn't a split. It was just, Hey, I just want to be able to do what I want to do from my house. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll be right back after this break. So can you talk a little bit, Eric, about the collaborative process in writing Born to Run 2? I mean, how did you guys, you have a lot of content in that book, <laughs> I mean, in, in a good way, in a good yeah, way. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of stories about other athletes. There's recipes, there's exercises, there's training plans. I mean, that's, I mean, just coming from a, from a writing perspective, it's a lot to wrangle, right? Well, and I think, you know, getting back to why did it take so long? Another part, I think, of that from my perspective was that prior to Born to Run, I was, there's kind of two things I do is I, I train and I coach athletes to do races and that's sure. done, done virtually. The other part of what I do is to help build runners back up to where they're maybe injury free or they're working on their technique and just becoming a better sound runner from a biomechanical standpoint. Mm -hmm. And prior to born to run, I was doing that in person that allowed me then to be able to help the individual virtually from this perspective. And in doing camps where people would come visit me, I basically was in this laboratory for 15 years of understanding really how to coach running technique and strength training that really resonates for the individual based on what they need to hear and how they need to hear it Mm 
mm-hmm. which then allowed me to be able to formulate a training method that went into Born to Run 2 that can help anybody. Hmm. And I think for me, having that time to really hone in on what people need to hear and how they need to do it was super, super helpful going into Born to Run 2. But getting back to your original question, our process really started with a phone call. He called me, Chris called me, and we had probably a 75-minute chat, and we essentially created each chapter. (laughs) It just Mm -hmm. flowed. It was like one of those moments that, okay, this feels right. We're in the zone, and here, we've, we've got it, and let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, you guys sound like you're just good buddies too. So it's it's probably like a good back and forth. Um, But, you know, going back to the original book and the timeframe, so much has changed in the running world, you know, in the world in general, but especially in athletics, as far as, you know, everything from data-driven training, shoe technology, and even social media playing a role in evolving the sport. So have your own coaching philosophies changed as a result? And is this reflected at all in the new book? Oh, great question. I think what comes to mind for me first from the technology aspect is that, yes, we've seen a lot of advancements, but I've used a training heart rate monitor since maybe 1995. Mm-hmm. And it, it's always been a big part of what I did with coaching and my own training. And what I've seen is that the actual technology has declined in heart rate monitors Hmm. because of the wrist monitoring. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so it's become very frustrating because I I got to the point where I can't trust the heart rate readings that I'm getting now. Unless they're wearing a strap, right? I mean, if they are wearing a strap, you trust those more? Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Great point. And I'm glad you added that because, and with that though, not a lot of people are, really psyched on wearing the chest strap just because they've never kind of been ingrained to using that where mm-hmm. to me, it's no big deal. Sure. Right. So yeah. that, that's been a frustration therefore. And with Chris's urging and where we wanted to go with Born to Run 2 is that we wanted to maybe get back to creating training zones and intensities in a way that people can start to feel what certain training zones and efforts should feel like that really kind of goes back to maybe the heartbeat of the book of athleticism is awareness Mm -hmm. and treat training that awareness that then ultimately, maybe if you're still into heart rate, you can infuse that back in, but kind of stripping things away a little bit and, and creating that awareness within each athlete. Well, go ahead. Well, I I mean, athleticism is awareness. I mean, that is such a, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because I I do think that, and and I raise my hand very, very high here. Like, I often get into endurance sports to zone out, right? Like to let my mind wander, to like listen to a podcast, like whatever, you know, like to kind of just like get away from like the thinking, right? You know? Well, and and with the variety of athletes that I've trained, you know, you you start to see patterns through years of what good is. And, you know, I've trained Olympic athletes, professional athletes to their contract years to, you know, beginners. And one common denominator in what I would consider someone who is a good athlete and learning to control their body is having awareness, aware, awareness of their feet, 
you know, we, back to your original question about technology, we've seen huge advancements, so to speak, in shoes, but has that taken our awareness away? Mm. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into shoes at some point with this, this conversation, but, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this, this whole minimal choice isn't an all or nothing choice is that using a minimal shoe from my perspective brings back awareness that can help any, any runner. Hmm. Nice. Nice. Well, actually let's talk about shoes for a second before we get into the book, because now you've kind of peaked and I'm people are like, okay, I want to know what do you, I mean, I'm a middle of the pack half marathoner say. I've read your book. I mean, I know you talk about ultras in your book, but I mean, like I go to the shoe store. What do I do? Because I, I feel like there's just so many messages out there and it's, it's, it can get really confusing and also kind of intimidating, I think at times. Absolutely. And I, I think maybe my core message to that question for everybody out there listening is that to understand two things, how we use our feet directly correlate to how well we activate muscles as we run. We often hear how important the glute stability is, how important having good strength is, but from a running perspective, that all starts with how well we use our feet, where we strike the ground and how we strike the ground. So if we understand that, secondly, we then the further we get away from the ground in our shoe, the less well we are able to use our feet. Mm-hmm. So if we have that core principle, then we can say, okay, hey, a shoe now can become a tool, a strength tool with form and with some strength training to create this wonderful foundation that begins with our feet that sets up everything good we want as runners. Every runner wants what running minimal will provide, training our feet provide but it doesn't have to be this all or nothing approach. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do have to interject though, because, well, what about speed? Because let's just go right into like the, the vapor flies or the next percent. It's like, you're not anywhere near the ground. And when you're wearing those shoes, it's like, you're wearing moon boots. So what are your thoughts on those shoes and like carbon plated shoes and how, you know, also like it's free speed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's, that's where it gets tricky because, Hey, as of right now, there's proof that they work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing where records, there's enough data out there that show, hey, they work even from a recovery standpoint. But what we don't know and what's not measured is how people feel using these shoes most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of goes into what maybe runners expect from how they feel as runners, is that maybe we've somewhat been brainwashed to think, hey, muscle tightness and muscle imbalance is par for the course mm-hmm. as we run. And that's just an imbalance that, again, begins with the feet. So getting back to the super shoes, if we're using them exclusively, we still don't know how destructive they are being from a muscle imbalance standpoint that can lead to a lot of issues that maybe most people already have and they don't think anything of it. Mm. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, and so let's just go back for one second and we'll, then we'll get into the book, but the whole foot thing, I mean, I would guess, and this is me just guessing, I would say maybe one in 10 runners pay attention to their feet. (laughs) If that, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like it's a very big, you know, you, you're right. Everyone talks about, you know, engaging your glutes and, 
doing, you know, like kind of thinking higher up the chain. But I mean, how many runners would you say, Eric, are thinking about like their feet and and how they're moving and and how they hit the ground, that kind of thing? Oh, very, I mean, if we got 28 million runners in this country, you know, less than 1%. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and again, that's that's just insane to me, even from an athletic standpoint, is that here, these are the muscles that we're using 100% of the time. Every time we take a step, we have muscles there. It's our stability foundation. Everything starts with our feet and we're not training our feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, it's so easy. It's so profound and it's so potent just what a little bit of foot core exercises can do for your running. And that that's what gets me excited because everybody can do this and it's going to profoundly change not only how you feel as a runner, but what you feel is important from a strength training standpoint. Yeah. All right. So if someone's listening right now and they want like yeah. one foot core exercise, I know you have a, a section in the book on this, but what's one thing that they could do just to try just to, you know, get a sense of things. Yeah. While you're listening to this podcast, take your shoes and socks off, stand, balance on one foot and balance flat-footed first. Notice the challenge it is, especially for your big toe, just to stabilize. If you want to make it a little bit harder, close your eyes. Notice how hard your feet have to work to stabilize. Then the advanced part would be then to balance on your forefoot. Elevate the heel just a little bit off the ground and try to balance on that one leg. And notice how challenging it is. Notice where you feel it. You're going to get it where you need it, where your weakest link is. And through time, you're going to start feeling your glute engage. Hmm. And that's the holy grail is how we use our feet directly relate to how well we use our glute. All right. I, love, I just know I feel like I need to strip down everything yeah. I've ever done. <laughs> Start with my I'm feet. Like, could I slide off my shoes on this podcast? Yeah. You can't hear it while I, I try it. it. I and, and, and it goes back to that awareness is once you just do that simple exercise, if you're just listening to this, you're going to see, well, that's ridiculous. How easy is that? Mm-hmm. Once you do it, you're going to see how challenging it is for everybody. And then secondly, you're going to understand how important the big toe and the arch is for stabilization and elastic energy to propel you forward. So that it goes back to that awareness thing. And now you're going to maybe buy into some of the strength training that nobody does that can be so powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, just to talk, you mentioned something about pain and how we don't have to run with pain. And you retweeted recently something from Chris. Let me just find it here. Um, This is what Chris said, and you retweeted this. Two things we've adopted as part of running. Being solitary and accepting pain as a price of admission. But when you look back, neither of those were ever part of how humans ran. So we'll get into the social aspects in a little bit, but just tell us what is the secret to running pain and injury free? Is it the feet? Is it, you know, that's such a broad question I know, but I think all of us listening and, and you know, everybody listening is like has had an injury, is worried about getting an injury. So what's the approach? Yeah, I, I think it's, for me, it's three-pronged. It's understanding the foot that we talked about, the foot core. It's then integrating how that relates to run form and how they work together. And then some of the simple exercises from a strength training that we can do. So it's the kind of that three-prong attack, but 
ultimately it's about the muscle imbalance. And we often hear, should we be stretching? You know, muscle tighten. My IT band is tight. My hip flexors are tight. My have glute amnesia. My glutes not working. I don't have good stabilization. All that comes back to muscle imbalance where one muscle might be working more than the other and causing that mobility issues or the tightness that, again, we've been brainwashed to think is par for the course as distance runners that ultimately lead to dysfunction. So if, if we can see how the foot relates to run form, every step we take can be a form of strength training if it's done well that creates muscle equilibrium, which ultimately takes that tug and pull and tightness away. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, is how we can get to the point of being able to run injury-free or, and again, I hate that word injury. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe most runners don't realize how good they can feel and they can actually run more and feel better. But, okay, I'm just going to put throw myself into this again, but yeah. I'm currently dealing with a hip issue. I know what it is. It's glute instability. It's right. postpartum. It's all that. Yep. Do you recommend, I love to run. I can't imagine my life without it. So this is why I continue to be injured because I, I don't want to take time away from running. Is there a, a point where you just recommend to us, stop running, go back to the basics, do your strengthening, address the injury, well, the pain, I guess, because I can run through it. It's not anything that's debilitating, but it's there. So do you recommend kind of just starting from scratch and and really focusing on that strength work before you go back into a running program? I think there's a certain amount of, yes, maybe going back to what I call the fundamentals of natural running where, and, and that's kind of a lot of the principles for born to run too, is that this is kind of a reboot. And if, if you're a veteran runner who maybe has those little wobbles that are causing some issues, Hey, this is that reboot to kind of go back and reestablish that foundation from the feet up that not only is all about the structural system that we've been talking about, but maybe also seeing how the actual running piece can maybe affect that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I think every runner in their own way should always kind of reboot, so to speak, and go back to some of these fundamentals throughout the year. Yeah. And it's always a good thing to, reestablish that foundation and that chassis and the suspension system that it really can reward us. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a sentence in the book that says that often, you know, we, we run to get in shape instead of getting in shape to run, right? Like you think like, yeah. oh, I want to yeah. lose some weight or whatever. And that's, and that, I mean, again, that like throws it on its head because you feel like running is the vehicle instead of, I mean, I just think back to going back to like when you talk about elementary school and stuff, I mean, yep. like, yes, I did the same things. I did the wheelbarrow race and the yep. mile exactly. and all that stuff, you know, but we were never taught to run. And I know, yep. I know that you, you know, as a child, like, you know, toddler or whatever, you know, before you start to sit a lot, you kind of have naturally good running form. Right. But then as soon as we grow up and get into more adulting, like there's just a lot of sitting and that is a big issue. Am I, am I making that up or not? No, absolutely. It, you know, again, and that's that's kind of that reboot. Everybody has maybe gone through where they haven't run periods of time. You know, I go back to example of my daughter. She's a junior now in high school. And up until about fourth or her fifth year, you could 
only buy really awesome minimal shoes that allowed her to run beautifully. Mm-hmm. And it got to, I think, I forget what size, but as soon as she got to a certain size, I think it was when she was four, they stopped making these, these shoes. And it went to the, bell, the bells and whistles shoe where if she heel strike, the lights would mm-hmm. go off on the sole of the <laughs> oh shoe. <laughs> a song would play. Yeah. A song would play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I completely watched her form change. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we can go down a whole rabbit hole there. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. For whatever reasons, we get away from that natural running that we all have the ability to. And I think getting back to maybe the core root here is that we start to see running as a practice. You know, if, if you're a tennis player or um, any other sport player, you say, hey, I'm going to practice today. When was the last time you heard a runner say, hey, I'm going out to practice today? Yeah. Right there, I'm going mm-hmm. for a run. I'm going for mm-hmm. a run. I'm going for my long run versus, hey, I'm going to practice today. Yeah. And if we yeah. start to switch that mindset, it gets away from it has to be a workout to now I'm practicing an art in a way that can reward us the rest of our lives. I love, love that. that. I love that yeah. mentality of running being an art form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, is I feel like someone like Sarah, who was on her track team, you know, and, me, and you too, Eric, like, you know, high school, college, like you did all the drills, you know, those and yep. that kind of thing. Yep. But like, for me, I was like a rower in college. That was my right. um, sport. And so like running was just cross training. So just like run out to the boathouse and then run back, you know, like, and so that that's the mentality that I bring to running is like, I don't even, you know, I mean, yes, of course, now being the profession that I am, I've learned a lot of the drills and learned a lot more about the depth of running skills. But you know, for the average person who's like, okay, I'm just going to pick up running. They're not, they're not learning about their feet. They're not learning about where to strike that kind of thing. Right. Well, and, and that's, that's why we are excited about this book because, yeah. Hey, that, that this is, I believe maybe completely shift what people think about how they should be training that can be fun, that can be introduced during the run that doesn't have to take more time away from running that is, I think, completely mind-changing as far as how, again, we, our bodies can feel as runners. Mm -hmm. So in the book, there are two interesting chapters, I think, that are particularly relevant to our audience, which is one is running with a jogging stroller, and then the other is running with dogs. Can you tell us a little bit about your decision and Chris's decision to include these sections in the book? Yeah. So I think it's maybe a little bit bigger answer that as you know, now that you have the book, you flip through and it's quite diverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chris's decision very, very early on is that he wanted this book to be for everybody. He wanted pictures in the book. He wanted people to be able to pick up the book and see someone that looked just like them. And I think that speaks to, Hey, lots of people have dogs and Maybe just like we're talking about run form and foot strength and training. Hey, maybe there's some things that you can think about from training your dog to improve your running experience and to have that connection with animals. And so we, again, it kind of goes back to maybe stuff that you don't know that you don't know that can really, really help. Um, Same with the baby jogger and the stroller is that, you know, Ellen, one of my athletes had a baby and, you know, a lot of people are having babies and this is something that we just wanted to put in there that 
can maybe one, from my perspective, continue to motivate people to run through pregnancy for as long as they can, but then give them tips to be able to continue to do that after having the child and, and how some small little tips can really improve that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also, I mean, like we said, it's a very diverse book. I mean, you have what you call the free seven. Do you want to just list what those are? Those kind of the, those are kind of the columns in the book or I guess. Yeah. You know, they're the pillars, right? The pillars. But, there you go. Yeah. Column, pillar, whatever. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. So yeah. Pop quiz. Sorry. Right, see if I can get them in order. Okay. We can help you out. Free, yeah. It goes <laughs> food. Oh, I'm stumbling after the first one because it's all, all F's, right? Yeah. yeah. Food, form. Nope. <laughs> fitness, fitness comes second. All right, yeah. food, fitness, form, focus, footwear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fun, family. You got Bingo. it. Uh, Good job. We'll, we'll give you an A on that one. We'll yeah. give you an A. Yeah. Well, and it's cool because that does speak to the range of the book. I mean, again, like fun, family. I mean, um, we've talked a lot about the form and the focus, but one of the things that I really liked was that what you have like called movement snacks, which I think is like such a brilliant title, first of all, because it's like, it feels very doable, even though some of the exercises like the, um, not the crab walk, but the something crab does not always feel super doable, but talk a little bit about what movement yeah, snacks three point are. Crab. The three point or, crab. Yes. The, the, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. then the, the, the straight leg bear crawl is another good one. Um, yes. you know, and, and so, yeah, those are just movement, movement snacks. We like to coin that term. And again, it's, it, they're fun. They're, meant to create that awareness of maybe what's going on with your body. One movement snacks might be easy. The other one might be really challenging and vice versa for somebody else. But what also happened in kind of the metamorphosis of the book was that then we started to use the movement snacks as a way to help begin the process of eradicating injuries. And so we just kind of like the idea that these can be done anywhere, anytime to help mobility and just to help with that awareness of what's going on with your body. Yeah. That again, can be done anywhere, anytime. And that's kind of the idea. Yeah. yeah I like how they're, they're doable and they're pretty yep. easy to understand and to follow. Like Dimity said, like, even if you don't come up from a background where you know all those drills, you can still, right. you have to follow right. the pictures and the step-by-step. That's really helpful. Can you talk a little bit, Eric, about I mean, do you call it the hundreds that that's Pilates? I know that, but, um, what's the hundred and the hundred, the hundred up hundred up. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah hundred yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think that's another like useful thing that people can really, even if they, you know, don't see, read the book for six months, they can integrate that now. Yeah. So the hundred up Chris stumbled on that a few years back, George Walter was a back in the 1920s, I believe. He was a, what they called a pedestrian runner. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that's the old term. We would call him an altar runner this day, you know, but he, he would, he ran, you know, and walked big ultra marathon type distances way back in the, in the twenties. And he used the hundred up as a form of training when he couldn't run. So the hundred up is simply, there's two forms. There's a hundred up minor which is simply just marching in place, bringing your knees as high as possible in front of you to really manufacture that biomechanical movement of running. And then the more advanced movement would be taking the 100 up 
to more of running in place. Where the number 100 comes in is you're doing that 100 steps. And what this is doing is creating the muscle memory to use your body in a profoundly beneficial running biomechanical way. And it's this muscle memory that's the key that kind of resonates throughout a lot of the program in the book that I feel is the holy grail to having good form and using your body well, is that a lot of times when we're dealing with run form, so many athletes and coaches focus so much on the learning and it's more about the muscle memory that's the key. Yeah, And that's where, you know, in, in the book, we say, hey, we can, we can fix your run form in five minutes by running in place, but it's really the muscle memory then of that practice to let it take hold through time. Mm-hmm. One more thing I wanted to add is at the back, you have a reference guide for pain. Um, so it's like, you know, you see this sometimes in magazines and it's like, oh, you have shin pain. Here's how to address it. Or obviously you can go on WebMD and find it. But I really like that you can just kind of flip through and you have diagrams and photos. And I'm like, okay, I'm taking it because I also coach high school. So I'm like, this is such a good reference for just basic treatment and what what causes it too, which is really important because a lot of times we don't realize that it's a chain reaction. So I just wanted to say thank you for including that because I think that that's something that's so important just to have like basic, you know, knowledge of what it is, what's causing it, and here's how to fix it. But, and I'm really excited for that part because again, it, it can be just this ongoing reference point for people. Mm-hmm. And I think so many times, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of what I become really good at in dealing with injuries and dysfunction is that most times, whether it's the athlete self treating themselves or even in the health practitioner profession, that it's the symptom that's being treated rather than the source. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing in the book is that this is a way to diagnose the source and treat the source rather than just where you feel it. And most times where there's pain, where there's discomfort is just a symptom of somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And we're hopefully taking it that next step and treating the source. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's all the glutes. <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. <laughs> sitting too much, as Dimity mentioned, is it also right. a problem? But yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. Well, so Eric, to wrap things up, um, can you leave us with some hopeful words of advice for listeners who want to run free and kind of embrace some of the stuff that you've talked about? Yeah, I, I think uh, that's a loaded question. I, I think it goes back to maybe some of the things we touched on: is that seeing running as a practice seeing running as something that's fun, that can be fun. And maybe, maybe that word fun is the overriding pillar here mm-hmm. is that if, if we have good form, if we treat our body well, it's going to feel better. The better we feel, the more fun we're going to have. Right. And I think understanding what is fun for you and you mentioned the word social media a while back, mm-hmm. you know, of, of really having an awareness of what is fun for you. And I'll, I'll pull Chris into this conversation is that he and I are very different as far as what's fun. What's fun for him is to just go jog around the island, of, in, in the trails in Hawaii, and just kind of go run to breakfast. Where fun for me is running up mountains and making things hard and training. I love to train and that's fun for me. So I think ultimately 
having that awareness of what is fun for you in an authentic way that's not something that someone thinks needs to be for you. So you can then create that fun factor for you. That's what truly is what you're about. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think we can all, you know, ask ourselves what we love about running and, you know, some people it's setting PRs and maybe, you know, accomplishing something that they've never done before. And for some people, it just could be going out and then being in the fresh air and observing nature. So it's great. And like, it speaks to the wide breadth that you've taken with this book, as far as covering all the bases. So I think there's something in there for everybody, for sure. Well, I'll just kind of add, I think, and I saw it with triathlon back in the early days of Ironman is that there's so much focus on the marathon and now ultra marathoning and the bigger distance. And if you don't go big, you don't go long, you don't go big, then you're Mm -hmm. not worthy. And I think that's so detrimental is that you can have fun running a mile race, a 5k that don't put all these rules on what running is for you based on what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's maybe the message that I would like to get out there is, you know, reinvent yourself as a runner and do what you want to do and not what pictures and social media and other people are thinking is required to become a runner, so to speak. That's great advice. (laughs) We all, I think we all need to hear that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eric. You are just like a fountain of knowledge, energy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm ready to hire you as my coach and yeah. get, get back to running. And <laughs> fix the hips, get back to running, all the things. So mm-hmm. awesome. Awesome. Well, take care. Good luck with the book. Okay. I hope it goes well and take good care. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric.